If you have your Bibles here this morning, I'd like you to turn to Esther. And we're going to go chapter 2 and start reading at verse 10. It reads, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. And then we'll skip down to verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, but Esther had kept, her, kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do so. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Esther, an orphan. Jewish tradition says that her father died before she was born, her mother during childbirth. Adopted by her older cousin, Mordecai, who raised her as his own daughter. She was exceptionally beautiful. She won the favor of everyone who knew her. She was totally obedient to Mordecai. She was loved by Mordecai even when he lost control over the situation. He still did all he could to show her care. When Mordecai was mourning, Esther showed great distress and care. When Esther, when she was faced with a tough decision, at first she showed fear and then great courage. She was willing to put her life on the line to help others. She showed exceptional wisdom in knowing how to, uh, how to appeal to an ungodly husband and king, in how to expose Haman and how to follow through in devising a plan to save her people. How could a teenage girl so capture the heart of all who knew her, sway the heart of the world's most powerful king, change the course of history and save a nation, destroy the enemies of God's people, and influence Jewish culture for thousands of years, even onto this day? She didn't do it through her exceptional beauty. It says that she was beautiful woman. But in the palace of Xerxes, she was simply average because history tells us that all the women in his palace were of exceptional beauty. So what made her stand out? It wasn't through wealth or power that she captured the hearts of all who knew her. She simply did it through who she was, through her godly character. And the lesson that we learned through Esther is that the her godly character was built upon a heart of submission. Men and women of godly character, known for honesty, integrity, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, strength, endurance, patience, on a goes, our world sadly lacks too few of them. But wherever they do exist, they're change agents in their world. Some, like Esther, change the course of history. Others, their sphere of influence may be small, but within that circle of influence, they impact their world for good. The surveys of today are discouraging. Most people are willing to be dishonest. Sexual sin is rampant, and in fact, for entertainment has become the norm. That's what it's centered around. Respect is gone. The F word is a normal part of conversation for so many. 
Alternative lifestyles are seen as healthy. Godly character has become the missing quality of our society. So let's look at Esther this morning and how she accomplished so much. First of all, what is character? Well, character, we aren't talking about, well, he's a real character, that kind of thing. Character is who you are in your own inner person. And we can use that for good or bad, but it's who you are. And what's within will come out. Character is developed as we make choices in our life. Every choice, whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, is influencing the future of our character. When we make a right choice and we do it often enough, it becomes who we are. Make a wrong choice and you do it often enough, that becomes who you are. Character is developed within the circumstances of life. And often God allows pressure to come, tough choices and so on. But as we respond to that in the right way, it develops character within us. So where did Esther learn character? And I believe we're plainly told that in this story. Esther learned character through obedience. And at the heart of obedience is a submissive heart. And another word for a submissive heart is humility. The Bible has a lot to talk about humility. Now, when we, heard that we hear that word submission, many people have a negative concept. Some think of submission, well, that's kind of like the weaker dog that rolls over and whines when the more aggressive dog comes around. Some think of it in the context of marriage, in a negative way of a wife submitting to an abusive husband. In the 1980s, we got a Malamute uh, Coley Cross puppy, and he was, when we got him, he was just a tiny little ball of fur, but he was a very aggressive ball of fur. And uh, he would crawl underneath our barn. There was a couple places he could get under there, under the floor, and he'd get stuck under there, and he would just whine and cry for a long time, and finally he'd make his way back out. And knowing that one day he was really going to get stuck under there, I decided to close up the holes that he was using. And I started closing up the first hole, and he realized what I was doing, and he raced for the other hole. And so I beat him there, and I stuck my foot in the hole. And it was a good thing I had rubber boots on, because he just went into a rage, just snarling and biting at my foot. And he was just this tiny little thing. And I reached down to pick him up, and he just latched right onto my hand, just drawing blood. But I got him by the scruff of the neck, and I just held him there until he submitted. He just hung. And I put him down, and instantly he was a ball of rage again, just snarling and biting at my foot. And we went through that over and over until all of a sudden he just submitted. From that day on, he was my dog. His will was submitted to my will. He kept his same personality, but it was now channeled towards me. He was a great watchdog because of that personality, because whatever was mine, he guarded. We had a neighbor stealing gas, and we knew who was stealing the gas. And uh, Once we got that dog, and he wasn't very big yet, and all of a sudden the gas stealing stopped. And uh, the neighbor came over to visit one day, and uh, the dog wouldn't let him out of his vehicle. And so I went and got him out of his vehicle, and he says, your dog doesn't like me. And I thought, I didn't say it to him, but I thought inside, I know why he doesn't like you. And no more gas disappeared. I could tell you story after story. 
But who he was and what he was now belonged to me because his will was now submitted to my will. And when he surrendered his will to my will, he became useful to me. Even at one point, protecting our two little children from a bear. That's a picture of our submission to God. Submission takes who you are and what you are, how God has made you, and makes it all belong to God, and is when your will becomes surrendered to God's will that you become useful to God. Esther, when she was faced with the choice to serve herself or to serve God, she hesitated at first because it meant that she may lose her life. But she quickly chose to obey God. Now, where did she learn this? Well, I want to go back to those verses I read. Esther 2.10. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. And then it follows up, it repeats this, and says it again in verse 20. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. As a child, Esther had learned to have an obedient, submissive heart. That's the key to her life. She grew up in a culture that demanded conformity to whatever dad said. Dad was the patriarch, in this case, Mordecai, her cousin. You obeyed no matter what. You could be angry and rebellious inside, but you had to conform on the outside. And it's very clear to tell us here in this story that this was not the case with Esther. She had a heart of obedience, of submission, a submission that went to the core of her being. It became who she was. Even when she left home, she no longer needed to obey Mordecai, but we find her still following his wisdom and his direction. Leaving home is the test of a child's heart. It's then we see whether the child has a true heart of obedience or simply has conformed at that point, up to that point, to the parents' beliefs and values. A submissive heart shows itself in a continued obedience to the beliefs and values after they leave home, resulting in good choices and godly character after they leave home. A rebellious heart desires that once they no longer have to conform, they go and do their own choices, their own way, no longer have to obey. And so Esther shows us in her life, having left home, she's now in the palace, she continues with the same values and obedience that she showed growing up. She continues to follow Mordecai's direction, and she places herself under the care and authority also of the head eunuch, who is now over time, uh, oh, her authority in the palace. And she not only obeys him, she seeks out his wisdom and his direction. And the Bible says the result of this attitude that she had is she found favor in the eyes of everyone that she came in contact with. Why? Because she was more beautiful than the other girls? No. Is because of her attitude. Now, we're not born this way. 
We're born rebellious at heart. That's the issue in the Garden of Eden. With Eve, the issue was, will I give God the obedience of my heart or will I rebel? And together, Eve and Adam chose rebellion. It's been the heart condition of everyone since. Some are nicer in their rebellion than others, but all are rebellious. As a parent, your goal must be a transformed heart in the life of your child, not a conformed heart. It's so easy just to be happy as a parent to impose discipline on your child so they conform. They have to obey the rules. <clears throat> now, I want to say this. As a parent, you can't produce in your child's heart what hasn't already been produced in yours. Children's first experience of authentic faith is through experiencing their parents' authentic faith. And if they don't experience that authentic faith through their parents, they're more likely to leave the church, leave their faith when they leave home. Because at that point, they've simply been conforming. <clears throat> so as parents, you can't reproduce a submissive heart in your child if it's missing in your own life. <coughs> If your child doesn't learn this from you, they're going to learn it in the life of hard knocks. And it's much easier to learn it when they're young. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because then we see the love of God poured out in us. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that if you haven't learned submission, God is going to take you through the school of hard knocks. And he's going to allow you to face suffering so that you do learn submission. Because submission leads to character, and it leads to hope, and it leads to an experience of God's love that you would never experience without it. And so as children, how well they learn that obedient heart when they're young impacts their future. They're going to have to go through the hard knocks if they don't learn it when they're young. Now, Esther had chosen young to learn to have an obedient heart. And as a result, she became a woman of godly character. And an obedient heart is that seedbed for godly character. Godly character is never built in the absence of obedient heart. A rebellious heart never produces godliness. God's goal for your life is to bring all things in your life into submission to him. Forgiveness of your sins, salvation, that beginning point, is simply the first step to what God is wanting to accomplish in your life. Having forgiven your sin, he now wants to conquer your heart. You know, submission does so many good things for us. The deeper our submission goes, the greater our joy is, the greater our relationship with Jesus. The deeper we go into rebellion, the more elusive joy and happiness becomes. Submission, 1 Peter 3, says that makes you attractive. We find this in Esther. Tradition says that she was a very gracious person. What the Bible says is she found favor in the eyes of everyone. It 
Having a submissive heart makes you attractive to other people. Romans 12 says that submission results in you knowing and experiencing God's will in your life. James 4, 1 Peter 5, 2 Peter 1 says that submission results in God's blessing and power in your life. Romans 5 says that submission results in you experiencing God's love. James 1 says that submission results in a growing faith. Romans 5 says that submission results in a growing character. And Proverbs 2 says that submission results in wisdom. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. He's asking for submission. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Here's a father trying to teach his child and he's saying, listen to me. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. So he wants to produce in that child is not just conformity. He wants a heart of submission that is yearning for this wisdom. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord and you'll gain knowledge of God. For God grants wisdom. That's a result of a submissive heart. God grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you'll understand what is right, just, and fair, and you'll find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Do you want that kind of life? It all begins with submission. That's where it starts. The issue of an obedient heart is a core issue of life. So many want God's blessing, they cry for it, they beg for it, and yet they want to hang on to their rebellious heart. It's so easy for us to deceive ourselves that we are walking in the right relationship with God. Because we think if we're doing all the right things, then we're right with God, and then we wonder why he isn't blessing. Yet the reality is we're still hanging on to our disobedient heart. The bottom line is, who controls your heart? Do you have an obedient heart or a rebellious heart? When the crunch came for Esther, when she was asked to give up her life, asked to risk everything in order to save her people, her godly character came through. There really, at that point, it wasn't a crisis point for her. It would have been hard. But that decision was already made all through her life as she walked in obedience and submission. And so when the crisis point came, it was just really simply for her, it was this follow through of who she was. I want to finish with a couple stories here. As we looked at the story of Esther and we looked at the war that King Xerxes uh, carried on against Greece in the early part of the story, there's a legend that comes out of there, and that's the legend of the 300 Spartans. And as Xerxes marched into Greece, he had to take his army, and he was, it's estimated that he had 100 to 150,000 soldiers. But they had to go through a narrow pass, 
And so you have a mountain on one side, and you have the sea on the other side, and it was just a narrow strip going through. King Leonidas of Sparta, he met Xerxes at that pass with about 7,000 men from different parts of Greece, uh, along with his men, uh, the few men that he had from Sparta. And their intent was to, they knew they couldn't win. But Greece wasn't ready. And their intent was to stop Xerxes at that narrow pass long enough for Greece to mobilize and get prepared for that war. For four days, Xerxes negotiated with the Greeks, trying to get them to surrender. On the fifth day, they engaged in battle. In that narrow pass, he could only send a few men at a time, and so his huge army had no advantage. And the Greeks just kept defeating them. After two days of defeat, a Greek trader told Xerxes about a path up and around the mountain, and uh, he could get around behind the Greeks in the, that were defending that pass. And so while his men still engaged the Greeks in battle, Xerxes sent 10,000 men around. Leonidas, King Leonidas, discovered this in time, and he knew that he would just lose all of his men, so he sent the majority of them home. And legend says that he only kept his 300 Spartans to defend the pass. As uh, they've studied history, they actually believe that he kept over 1,100 men. But he sent the majority home to fight another day. And so now the fighting was in front of them and behind them, and the Greeks were caught in the middle of that narrow pass. For three days they fought. Finally, on the third day, they were all killed. It was a crucial battle for Greece. It gave them seven days to prepare, and that's what they needed. This battle that took place is what the military calls a choke point. Xerxes had a vast army, but he couldn't use it because of this choke point, this narrow pass. A few men could hold the pass against him. The choke point rendered all of his power useless. God wants to come into your life with great power. But unfortunately, he can't use his power because we provide choke points. And that choke point is any time that we choose that we do not want to surrender our will to him. Where we have a rebellious heart instead of a submissive heart. And that becomes a choke point. And we cannot grow. We cannot continue to walk in obedience. It stops us there. Because character is built through obedience. Obedience comes from a heart that's learned submission. One last story. As a young man, I had a horse that was named Tango. It came with that name. Had a man that was closer to Vermilion. Uh, he was a senior, getting fairly crippled. He couldn't, horses had been his life, but he couldn't ride them anymore. And he bought this horse for his granddaughter. Beautiful horse. Uh, an Appaloosa, big horse, uh, very athletic. And uh, he bought it for his granddaughter, and the horse bucked his, it was just green broke. The horse bucked his granddaughter off, and she was afraid to ride it. So he said, Don, would you come and in the next horse sale, pick up the horse and take it to the horse sale and um, ride it through uh, the ring there. And I said, sold. And I said, sure, I'll do that. 
I went to pick it up. When I saw the horse, I said, that's not going to the horse sale. It's coming home with me. There was a problem with him, though. He was very strong-willed. He would spook at every little thing. Uh, he had his bag of tricks. Whenever I rode him, you always had to be on edge for what he was going to try to do next. It was literally a contest of his will against my will. I decided I wanted to teach him how to uh, ground tie. And uh, what happens in the next story, uh, the rest of the story, don't blame me. Blame Chester. He won't remember this. But uh, between Chester and his brother Stan, I went to them and I said, I need advice. Your horse is ground tie. How do you do it? And they told me what they did is they would tie uh, a rope onto uh, or to the reins or to the halter, a rope, and uh, put a weight on the end of it, and you put him in the crowd where the horse can't go anywhere, and you just leave him alone. And uh, that weight always stops him. They can drag it a bit, uh, but uh, eventually they just learn that when they have a rope or reins hanging down, they just stand there. Well, that's good. So I went home, and I tied a rope onto its halter, and... Uh, I tied a weight on the end, and I should know him better, knowing how spooky that horse was. But uh, he just backed up a little bit, and he tugged at it, and he looked at it, and he tugged it a little bit more, and he did that three or four times, and then suddenly he just spooked. And he took off across the corral. He jumped over the fence, the corral fence, and as he went over, of course, the weight didn't go over, and the weight cleared out the fence. That didn't stop him, and my dad, uh, just the next pen, he had just had built that, and uh, nothing had been in there yet. He still had, there were still trees in there. He hadn't taken them down yet. And as the horse went through those trees galloping, uh, that weight was bouncing off the trees as he went, he reached the far side, and you have to picture this in your mind. As he leaped into the air, he was at the height of his leap, <clears throat> Suddenly, that weight wrapped itself around a tree. And his body kept going, but his head didn't. And it just brought him right over backwards. And he landed on his back, knocked all the wind out of him. Uh, when he got up, he was trembling. But guess what? He knew how to ground tie. You drop a rope, you drop the reins, that horse would stand there for hours and he would not move. <laughs> but there was another thing that happened. From that day on, his will was submitted to my will. He was a very intelligent horse and whenever I tried to teach him, he would catch on quickly because he was trying to learn it. He was trying to please. The horse went from being virtually useless to becoming extremely useful. And the difference was the heart of the horse. He had a heart of rebellion, and that was changed to a heart of submission. It's the same with us. It was the same with Esther. When we learn to have a heart of submission, we go from being useless to God to becoming useful. Let's pray. Father, we, I just pray that each of us would learn this lesson. And I know we have to keep coming back. <clears throat> we have to keep coming back to it over and over through life. 
But this is at the heart of our Christian walk with you, is having that heart of submission. And when we do that, we experience so much. Experience your power, your blessings. We experience your joy. And we experience being useful to you. I pray that you would deal with each of our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.